Welcome to the Allentown Fellowship Church Podcast. Join us as we study God's Word book by book and then apply practical application to our lives. Let's go to James chapter 3. We've been walking through this book that is just such a practical book as far as what the Christian life should look like. We say we know the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be a difference in the way you and I live. The way we handle problems, the way we navigate through life, it ought to be different than the way the person who says that they do not have faith or they they do not know the Lord our way of living ought to look different than theirs. And and that's kind of what James is hitting on here. Faith without works is dead. If, If I say I have faith, but my life does not demonstrate what I say I believe, James concludes what? You don't have faith. That's sobering. Now again, we know that the people he's writing to, he's writing to believers. We know they're believers. So he's He's admonishing them. He's encouraging them. Listen, brothers and sisters, live out the life that you say you believe. All right? Faith without works is dead. So we kind of looked at that last week. He ended that thought at the end of chapter 2 and verse 26 where he said, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith, apart from works, is dead. It's like you can't get any clearer than that picture. What I say I believe should be demonstrated by how I live. Period. A lot of times people will say, well, I believe, I believe, I believe, and there's no evidence of it in their life. No, no, I do believe that, Pastor Ron, but it's just that, you know, what? no, 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 no. If you say you believe this and there's no evidence of this being lived out in your life, what what would James say? You don't believe this. And I think one of the hardest things that we have to come to grips with is examining our lives, as as God says in, in Corinthians, and he says, examine your life. See if you really are in the faith. Don't delude yourself in believing because you have a mental assent to things, right? That just because cognitive assent or I agree with something means that that's true biblical faith. No, those things are totally different. Remember, James gave us that example because he said even the demons believe. The demons believe. So are they Christians? And obviously not. Why? Because they they don't live out what they cognitively believe. So it's easy to have a lot of knowledge, a lot of facts about God, faith, the Bible, and mistake that for being true Christian faith. True Christian faith is lived out. It's not just cognitive. So he ends that thought by saying, again, as the body is dead apart from the spirit, so faith, apart from a demonstration of it, works, is dead. 
really challenging. Really challenging. He moves into chapter 3, and now he's going to deal with something that we all struggle with. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Help us with our tongues. We struggle with our tongues. And he's going to now talk about the struggle with the tongue, with what we say to people, the destruction that this tongue can have in people's lives. Here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, <laughs> my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now that's sobering to me, especially in my position. Remember, he's talking to believers this is a church that James pastored, and within this church, there's Jewish Christians, all kinds of stuff going on, people vying for position. The Jewish rabbis love to demonstrate and show how much they knew, right? So they're all kind of vying. Let me speak. No, no, no. Uh, if I could have the microphone now, let me speak. One rabbi perhaps would start talking about his knowledge of the Torah, and another rabbi perhaps would say, well, that's good what, 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 what rabbi said, but let, let me give you some more information. Kind of this vying for position, right? James turns around and says, don't be so anxious to be a teacher. Because what you say out of your mouth, God's got to hold you accountable. That's sobering to me. Anytime I speak, and particularly when I go different places, I always have to remind myself, whatever I'm about to tell these people, God's going to hold me accountable. So this is not a thing of, oh, I wish I were a preacher. Trust me, you don't. <laughs> oh, I wish I could have the mic. Trust me, you don't want that. As a matter of fact, um, when it comes to ministry, I'll just be honest with you. I do believe it's something that God puts his hand on people's lives and, and you know, you, you hear the word call, right? You, I've been called to the ministry. God is, 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 is working on my heart to be a proclaimer of truth in the context of being a preacher, right? I, I, that's real. That, 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 that happens. Here's, here's one, of the, one of the ways I know that it's of God. Because one, you can't quit. And I've wanted to quit. Let me be honest with you. Deal? See, see, can I tell you something about ministry? It'd be wonderful if it weren't for people. It'd be a beautiful thing. You get to speak. You get to go to conferences. Maybe write a book one day. I'm still trying to write that book. I did get invited to my first legitimate conference. I'm excited about that. Can I think about that? We got to talk about that. <laughs> Right? It's like, oh, just travel the circuit, people speaking, meeting authors. That's great. But then there's the people you got to deal with. And you'll pour your life into people and time, and then people will stab you in the back. And then people will talk about you. Then people will say, why are you judging me when you confront them with their sin? And then people will say, ministry is not glamorous. But here's how I know it's a calling in my life, because I can't quit. And I wanted to quit multiple times. 
James says, don't be so quick to be a teacher. This is not a glamorous thing. And not only that, but he says, look, not many of you should become. The idea is don't set yourself up as a teacher because you will receive the greater judgment. You will be judged with more strictness. Why? Because in this position, I ought to know some things. Right? In this position, as a preacher, I ought to be living what I'm preaching at you. <laughs> James says, the stricter judgment is going to come to you as a teacher. So you can imagine, in this church, with these rabbis that are probably vying for position, trying to outshine one another. By the way, let me tell you one of the reasons I did not want to be a pastor. I'm going to go all the way back to when I was in school, in college. When I was in college, I went to a historical black university, and that school always held a national pastor's conference on campus. Every year, all the students didn't have classes for the whole week you went. I'm 20 years old, 19, 20, somewhere around there. And I'm sitting there in the assembly, about 2,000 students, first time there. And I'm sitting there in the crowd, all these pastors, everybody flocks on this campus for this big event. And these different speakers are speaking all week long. Here's why I said I will never be a pastor. Again, I'm young and dumb. I don't know anything. I'm down here just for college. I'm listening to all these ministers around me critiquing the speakers. I, will I can still hear all the critics, I mean, as clear as day. And I'm just sitting here with the program looking, and I'm hearing these guys talking, hey, uh, Bishop, Bishop so-and-so, yeah, watch, watch, watch this reverend. Yeah, he's going to use the same analogy he used at last year's conference. That boy don't know no better. That's all. I'm sitting there like, what? And the guy get up and preach, and he said, I want to tell you a story about life. See, I told you, he told you, same thing about life, that old dumb analogy. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, these are pastors. Really? It was, and I'm not saying every single pastor. Don't, don't get me wrong, but you got to understand, as a 19, 20-year-old, considering being a minister, hearing this, I'm like, I don't want nothing to do with this. This is nothing about showboat. It's like the X Factor. Like, what do you give him? <laughs> he wasn't funny enough. He didn't give enough. Really? Is this what it's about? No. He says, we receive the greater judgment. Now, it's interesting that on the heels of that, look at what James does. He, he comes off of the admonition, don't be seeking to set yourself up as a teacher. And then in verse 2, he switches right to your mouth. <laughs> For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Wow. James says we all sin in many, many ways. You have sins that so easily beset you, cause you to fall, things you fall into. We all have our own struggles, right? Every one of us. Nobody is perfect. And that won't happen until we see Christ. Okay? Let's get that right. Even pastors have issues. Everybody has issues. And James says, but, but you know what? If you're able to control 
your tongue? Wow, that's a mature man. <laughs> I know we got all kinds of things, but, but, but the guy who can control his tongue is a perfect or a mature person. That is so true. And now he gives us these, these pictures. He says, look, verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You take the bridle, the horse puts the bridle on his, right? He bites down on that piece of metal, right? And why does that horse turn right or turn left? Because you pull on the rein. When you pull on the rein, that piece of metal is going to do what in his mouth? It's going to hurt. And it causes him to go, as soon as he causes this way, you stop pulling. Is it, right? Okay. Look at the picture James is saying. We put that little piece of metal in his mouth to control that big steed. Hundreds of pounds of animal, ferocious animal. Yet that little piece of metal can just go and turn him just like that. That's how powerful your mouth is. Wow. You ever think about that? You ever have a conversation with somebody? And things are getting a little heated. And all of a sudden, you just say, just shut up. Just shut up. Three words can cause a blazing inferno. Because then they shoot back with four words. What did you say? Right? And what do you do? Now, the godly man will say, I'm sorry. But no, we don't do that. We shoot back with three more words. You heard me. What, what's going on there? That, that viciousness, that, 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 that what she's going to call it like venom. Right? That's the power of the tongue. We've all done it. We've all been there. And knowing in the midst of doing it, if you're a believer, it's wrong, but we're going to say it anyway. So I hear believers say this. I'm just speaking my mind. Well, that's the problem. Because now you ain't got nothing left. <laughs> See how powerful those words were? <laughs> right? Well, no, nobody's going to talk to me that way. We, we have all these reasons, yet in the same breath we're saying we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Wow. James is going to hit on this. He's not letting this tongue thing go. So he gives the horse analogy. Look at what he says. Look at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, let's catch this. He's given these metaphors. These are important. Now, this is not a big cruise ship. They didn't have cruise ships back in this day. But they had large enough boats and vessels where they had that little rudder. Just like today, we do have cruise ships with what? The propeller on it, right? The little rudder, right? And the guy's up there, the captain is in these modern ships. I forget what show I was watching, it blew my mind. He's up there with all these computers, and a little dial, a little dial, and he turns it to the right, and the whole ship starts to turn. Now, they gotta go out a few miles before it makes its turn. All of this steel. 3,000 passengers, 
and the wind could be, and the waves could be, and all he does is, and the ship, due course, starts to make its turn. Do you see the picture James is painting? This is how powerful your mouth is. Wow. And notice what he says in regards to the ship. They're large, and even though they are driven by strong winds, think about this, the idea of these winds blowing on the ship, right? Watch this. The winds aren't controlling where the ship goes. The rudder is. Think about that. The circumstances, that's not controlling where the ship is going. What's controlling the ship is as the pilot is staring it, and it's actually changing the direction, even though the winds... See what I'm saying? Why do you use this picture? I think here's one of the reasons he's using the picture. A lot of times we use the excuse of what's going on circumstantially in your life as to why you said what you said. The winds. <laughs> well, she just got on my last nerve. The winds in your life. Well, I walked in and the boss looked at me and said, how come this file was late? So he walked all up on me like that. So, hey, the winds in your life. So, therefore, you spoke. No, no, you can control your mouth. Circumstances should not dictate how a believer responds. What should dictate how we respond with our tongue is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Let your words be seasoned with grace and humility that you might build up the one listening. So many times in a counseling context, I hear these stories where believers feel justified in losing their tongue. We don't have that excuse. Look at what James says. In case we didn't get the horse analogy or we didn't get the ship analogy, look at what he says. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The little bit controls that massive beast of a horse. The little rudder controls that massive vessel. And again, don't miss it. Don't miss it. That ship is controlled by the will of the pilot. Wherever the pilot wants it to go, he navigates. Don't miss that piece. You said what came out of your mouth because that's what you wanted to say. How many times... Does our tongue boast great things, destructive things? And then we say this, oh, I didn't, what? Mean it. Mean it. Yes, you did. And if we don't have the integrity to look ourselves in the face and say, I did mean it, you'll never change. See, the minute you say, I didn't mean it, what are you saying? You're saying contrary to what he just said about the ship. You're saying, this came out of my mouth, and I had nothing to do with it. Oh, I didn't mean it. Well, wait, wait. What do you mean you didn't mean it? Well, I just, I'm, it just, uh. No, no, nothing just, uh. You meant it. That's why you said it. And I think this is why a lot of times there's things in our lives, things in our hearts that aren't changing. Because before a heart can change, you have to do what God said in Corinthians. Examine yourself. See if you be in the faith. See if your actions are matching what you're professing. And if you're going to excuse it away, if you're going to explain it away because things are rough, 
because things are habit. If you're going to keep doing that, your heart will never change. Because guess what? It's not your fault. No, it is your fault. I remember a number of years ago, our uncle used to live at the English house. He's since passed away. And in their title of the English house, I believe it used to say a wheelchair community, right? Most of the people in there were in wheelchairs, quadriplegics. And we used to do a Sunday service there once a month. And I got to know the residents. Some of the residents, you know, um, just totally de debilitating, uh, just as far as they could. They couldn't do anything for themselves. The workers had to roll them out. They, they couldn't even roll themselves out. They had to be fed. They had everything. You, and they would just come and gather in a half circle in this uh, chapel, and we would do service for them. And I still remember the one guy, William, was his name. You remember William? We used to go visit him. He always wanted you to give him a cigarette. He had cigarettes in his back, and he would always he would go, oh, oh, go like this for you to give him a cigarette. Well, he's not allowed to have cigarettes in the building. He knows that. So I got to know William. So I brought a team with me. They didn't know William. We're setting up for service. All of a sudden, he goes, he calls one of the workers over. And I didn't see it. I'm putting stuff, getting the mics all up. Worker goes over and says, huh, what? Oh, wait, a cigarette? And then I heard a cigarette, and I turned around. I said, hey, 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 brother, come here for a minute. Come here. Hey, William, how you doing, William? All right. I said, I said don't give him a cigarette. Oh, he wants me to give him a cigarette. I said, don't, don't do it. He's not allowed to smoke in this building, and he knows that. Now, look, I said, William, you know. Now, William could not articulate because of his disability. But if he could have, because he was, uh, he was grunting at me and hitting his wheelchair. And I walked over to him. I said, no. I said, you know you're not allowed to have one. And he was just like turning his head and just putting his hand up at me. Okay. One of the other workers sees this and they're like, excuse me, Pastor Ron. They're like, can we just give it to him? I said, no. I said, you want to give him a cigarette because you're feeling sorry for him because he's in a wheelchair. The fact that you're feeling sorry for him and you want to give him a cigarette, you're actually degrading him as a human being. He still has a heart, he still has a conscience, and he still has a will. And he's asking to do something that's wrong. Treat him like a human being, not a charity case. I don't care who you are. We all have hearts. And we speak things that are wrong. Notice what happens. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Talking about the tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Look at this mental picture. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. How much damage have you done to the body of Christ? How much damage have you done to family members? How much, how much lack of self-control have you done in your own life because of your tongue? Look at the picture here. And he gives another analogy for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Wow, what? See the big orca whales that they tame at SeaWorld and the girl stands on the side of the thing and Big whale comes up and kisses her. I'm like, that, that she, she, she lacks wisdom. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care how tame that thing is. You ever been to the circus? 
And the guy whipping it, and all the lions jump up on the thing all, all around him. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm sitting there underneath my popcorn like, that's a fool. I'm sorry, that's a fool. How are you going to put yourself in the cage like But he has them all tamed. Has them all tamed. That ferocious, that, like, I, I often think, like, are one of those lions as they're sitting in a circle thinking, like, yo, man, yo, you know we lions, right? <laughs> what we let this guy? <laughs> It amazes us when we see an animal tamer tame those wild animals. Right? That's why it turns into entertainment for us. But God says, nobody can tame your tongue. Wow. That's how powerful our tongue is. That's how deadly our tongue can be. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Look at this example. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Wow. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Did you catch who he's talking to? Christians. My brothers. Wait a minute, hold on. You got blessed? You you got brothers who are blessing God? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> and in the other voice, cursing their brothers? Yep. He's like, this ought not. Do you understand how deadly this tongue can be? This ought not to be among believers. And then, lest we did not get his point, dealing with the horse and the ship and animals and fire, look at what he says. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Obviously, the answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Obviously, no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What is he saying? He's, he's expanding what he just said in verse 10. My brothers, these things ought not to be in the life of a believer. Listen, guys. My tongue, your tongue, is the thermometer of your heart. Let me say that again. Right now, there's a big craze now with thermometers, with all that's going on. Yeah. Everybody wants to make sure you're not infected, right? Your tongue is the thermometer for what's really in your heart. Because this is not a passage talking about the physical part of the body, the tongue. It is through the tongue, through speech, through what you say that reveals what the real problem is in your heart. That's the point of this passage. How can you call yourself a believer and you're cursing those who are made in the image of God, yet you're praising God? That's a heart problem. Go, go back with me in James. Go back and look at James 1.19. Flip back and look at James 1.19 where he started to introduce this idea, right? 119, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Guard your tongue. Really, what is he saying? Guard your heart. Guard your, your tongue shows what is in your heart. Jesus Christ said what? It's not the outward stuff that defiles you. Pharisees were all concerned about them washing their hands. And Jesus says, it's not about this outward stuff, but it's what comes out of a man defiles him. Because it's about your heart, what's in your heart. And then he lists all kinds of wickedness and evil and comes out of our heart. What is James getting at? Your tongue reveals what's in your heart, guys. And you got to come to grips with that. you got to be honest about that. You can't explain it away to a bad day. You can't explain it away, well, I'm not feeling good. Well, I have a headache. No, no, no. In that moment when our tongue is saying destructive, mean things to another person, that is an indication of where your heart is in that moment. And the proper way to deal with it is repentance. God, forgive me. Forgive me. I should have had words that were seasoned with grace and humility. So as we close, have you ever destroyed somebody with your tongue, folks? Are you destroying somebody right now with your tongue? Are there conversations that you've had where you left destruction? You need to go back and get it right. God is not turning a blind eye to that. Especially to the believer who says they know the Lord Jesus Christ. What has your tongue revealed to you about your heart? My brothers, these things ought not to be, James says. Amen? Father, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts. And we can examine our hearts by simply listening to what has been coming out of our mouths. God, you do not turn a blind eye to our speech because our speech exposes what's in our heart. So God, help every one of us to examine our speech over this last week, to confess and ask for your forgiveness, God where we have offended you first and then where we may have offended others. God, we want our speech to reflect Jesus Christ. We want our testimony to remain strong and we don't want the way we speak to be a deterrent to people. To be distasteful to people and then they don't look at Christ because of the way we speak. God, help us to examine our hearts, Lord. We thank you, God. Thank you for your word that convicts, that challenges us. We pray, Father, that you would work these truths in our hearts. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening to the AFC podcast. If you would like to join us in our service, we meet at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, PA, in what is called the Daybreak Room, located in the Dubs Memorial Community Center. Services start at 1 o'clock. 
We would love to have you come visit. Until next week, God bless and apply his word.